first Thursday of the month. We set that aside this hour for a nice long chat with the mayor of Springfield. Springfield Mayor Jim Langfelder live on the line with us. Mayor, as always, welcome and thanks for your time this afternoon. Well, thank you, Jim. Appreciate it. Well, I want to start with the aftermath of the last few days, uh, peaceful demonstrations here in Springfield, but a lot of scrutiny of police in general around the country and some scrutiny uh, of our department locally here, particularly after an incident last week uh, that appears to involve an officer and some social media posts targeting uh, the two black aldermen on the city council in particular. So I I want to start just by asking uh, from your perspective, you have expressed an and given full voice to your confidence in Chief Kenny Winslow and his leadership. Uh, but do you have concerns when you see incidents like that of, of what undercurrents might be going on in the Springfield Police Department? Is there, is there reason to be alarmed or to, to need to take a closer look at what's happening within the department? Well, in the uh, social media posts, it shouldn't have happened. It was uncalled for, and it did give the uh, purview of racism when, you know, you have uh, – Alderman Woman Turner and uh, Alderman Gregory speaking out um, due to uh, despaired treatment and, uh, you know, with regards to protests, things of that nature. And then uh, some other council members weighed in and just going, making comments on social media towards the two African-American Alderman and Alderman Woman doesn't look good. I mean, and shouldn't have happened as uncalled for. And uh, the chief apologized for that. And. Uh, that should never have happened. And so social media uh, is a, on that with regards to uh, not only the police department, we've had employees go off. Some have gone off on me, and that's totally uncalled for. Uh, the uh, the unfortunate thing, it's, uh, you know, that is the uh, freedoms we live in with regards to freedom of speech. It's their own, it's on their personal time. And so that's the other side of it. But I did talk to Corporation Council because when I first got in, I wanted to implement a social media policy a lot more stringent than what it currently is and uh, uh, was not successful. So uh, hopefully we'll be able to do that. But with regards to the police department, uh, yeah, there's always uh, situations that you can improve upon. And uh, Chief Winslow, why I have my confidence in him, he's, you know, I say he's like a Boy Scout. He, he was an Eagle Scout, actually. He's very engaged in the community, very involved. He loves the community. Uh, but, he, you know, it's right and wrong. And so if someone does wrong, he's quick to take action. And, uh, you know, people need to be held accountable for that. And he's uh, done that. So that's why he has my confidence. And he's really been engaged in the community uh, from many different levels. And uh, that's the you know the best way as you move forward to this 21st policing. That's what it's all about. And so you can't be resting on your laurels, so to speak. You always have to improve each and every day. And it's just not the police. It's all our departments that we you know, had conversations with our directors throughout this week and always re- reevaluating how we're doing things. And there's always a way to do things better. If something comes up that, uh, you know, is a, uh, Shouldn't we need to take immediate action and uh, do corrective action? These messages, um, they uh, started because Alderman Gregory, Alderwoman Turner, others on the city council raised their concerns that perhaps uh, uh, the the 
actions of the police department were not being uh, handed out on an equal basis, that people were being held to much stricter standards in one case than in another uh, when you had people who were not necessarily, you know, following the rules, getting, you know, getting out into the streets, doing things. For one group, it was a party. One group, it was a protest. But they said, why is it one set of rules for one and a different set of rules for another? Is there validity to those complaints that, that they raised, even though some people in the department didn't didn't like those complaints? Do you think that those uh, those concerns were valid? Well, I think uh, anytime someone is concerned, they view it it is valid in uh, through their perception. I think the important thing is if it's a perception, we need to change it. When you compare a uh, street party to a uh, protest, I think uh, some of the things that raise the ire of council members is the signs uh, that were at the protest. And, uh, you know, the going into the streets, things of that nature. Um, you know, the other ones, you know, in the middle of the night. And so we do get calls from aldermen, alderwomen to uh, you know, address those issues. So, uh, you know, I, I believe, I think they're two different distinct actions. Uh, so with regards to if you want to compare the marchers, the protests, you can compare both protests. I think uh, both were enforced the same. Uh, with regards to a street party, you know, especially with COVID, uh, we had, you know, calls to break up instances of uh, groups of uh, their large gatherings or close together uh, to break those up due to COVID. Well, but, but there, there were also large groups of the protesters, the mm-hmm. people who didn't like the stay-at-home order, grouped together, no masks right. on, no social distancing, uh, and, and they weren't dispersed. Correct. Because that was on the Capitol grounds, and that's what I'm getting. Neither well, and, of the marchers, uh, you know, I guess that's the question. Are you going to compare a street party to a uh, uh, protest or what have you? And, you know, that's the, you know, I think that's going to be a differing of opinion uh, with regards to that. Uh, so uh, I, I'm, for myself, it's two distinct differences. I know some don't view it that way. That's how I view it. But when the police are called in the middle of the night, uh, that's where... They're there to protect and serve everybody. So it's uh, that's really the difference. The other ones during the day, uh, moving forward in that direction. And, you know, if you compare the two protests, they were handled in similar manners. But uh, not to belabor this too much, but Alderwoman Turner also said there were family gatherings on Memorial Day on the east side of town where police came and said, you've got to disperse, you've got too many people here. Uh, no indication that was happening in, in other areas of town. So you, you, you talked about the perception of it, but there is a, a perception that rules are perhaps enforced more uh, rigidly uh, in, in some parts of town than in others. Uh, some people get a pass and others don't get a pass. Uh, and so I guess for my, my question well, to you is from, from your perspective, from your perception, uh, does that exist and, and does it need to be addressed? Well, there's always, a, as I said previously, if it's perception, you have to change that perception. I'm asking your you, perception, though. Oh, my perception? Um Oh, without a doubt, uh, there has been uh, cases, especially with the COVID virus, where certain entities or certain areas have been treated differently. And I'll give you a a perfect example. We had a call for nail salon, and uh, they were doing some uh, business. So that was on the west side where uh, county public health went out and, uh, you know, was enforced. Uh, The same with – and then um, they did the same enforcement action. I think it was on Dirty South. But then on the um, the bar, uh, Fox Run, that wasn't the case. And so that's where it wasn't the city police 
that got caught in the crosshairs? Well, we did because we were the ones that went in and enforced the Fox run. So there are different situations where that does pop up. But what we try to do and the police department tries to do is that consistent uh, treatment with regards to protecting and serving the public. So, you know, that's what we always try to take into consideration. Chief Winslow will be the one to ask as far as how they respond. And we did have this discussion at the council chambers. And uh, he'd be the one to, you know, if you want to go case by case, he could speak to it. But a lot of this has come up recently because of the coronavirus. And uh, from that standpoint, just so everybody understands how this has migrated to the level we are with enforcement, uh, previously when we got calls um, with large gatherings, the police responded and all they could do is ask for compliance. At that point, that's when I came forward with the citation, the OVN, and that uh, allows the police to issue a ticket up to $500. Well, that whole process prior to that uh, or after that the uh, county was issuing cease and desist orders. Well, then they kind of backed away from that, and now they've relied on the city police to start taking that action. So it's kind of been a um, migrating enforcement action. It's thrown right in the laps of our police officers, in addition to all the other things that they have to deal with. And so, you know, were there inconsistencies along that way? Uh, most definitely, especially with the county public health, uh, the county state's attorney, and it's been dumped in the police department's lap, and we're trying to enforce it as best we can. Well, and and that's taken us a little bit farther away now from the initial question just about enforcement against individual private citizens on one side of town versus the other. But let's let's get into this part of it, too, because, uh, yeah, I, and, and you're, you're correct. You've issued cease and desist orders. And in the case of several of those businesses, they didn't cease and desist. So uh, is anything else going to happen when they're sort of thumbing their nose at, at the city's authority to enforce these regulations? You're the liquor commissioner. Have you looked at the liquor license for the restaurant that is serving people indoors in violation of those public health orders? Are there uh, are, are you, in fact, seeking ordinance violations and fines against them? Or is any other action going to be taken? Yeah, actually, on that, uh, the uh, the police department, uh, we did send information. Uh, it's my understanding it was sent to the Illinois Department of Public Health or to the state because, uh, again, this is a health pandemic, and that's the enforcement arm. And through the litigation, if um, it's all saying, well, the city doesn't have the authority to enforce health, but the state does, and so does uh, county public health. Uh, So uh, once the police went out there, issued the uh, notification, and then they informed the state uh, public health or the state with regards to that, uh, so they would be able to take that enforcement action or through the county public health. You don't have any power as city liquor commissioner to take action against a liquor establishment that isn't following state health regulations? Well, Corporation Council is looking into the aspect of where I might be able to do that, and uh, we'll have to make that determination if that uh, is enforceable. Because, again, I think the question is, uh, previously, you know, they they were being challenged through the uh, attorney that... uh, had uh, served us uh, with regards to uh, the authority to be actually being able to do that based on the uh, circumstances. Yeah, he sent you a letter basically saying back off. Uh, in... <laughs> right. Hey, that's a better way to put it. But but it but it but it looks like you did. I mean, is is that did you basically back down because he sent you that that strongly worded letter? No, I actually went to the state uh, and 
we'll have to follow up. I'll have to check with Corporation Council uh, with regards to that action. Mayor, at the city council meeting a couple of nights ago, you talked about uh, seeking uh, the possibility of a faster reopening here in the Springfield area based upon our metrics related to coronavirus. We're scheduled to move into phase four at the end of the month, June 26th. You talked about perhaps mid-June. But just a week or so ago, you said you were concerned about, for example, outdoor service returning to bars. You were fearful the people wouldn't be following the appropriate social distancing so is it really prudent to try to, to move that reopening more quickly, especially when we haven't really seen what all of these crowds and protests and people grouped together in the midst of a pandemic is going to mean? Should we be trying to, to push this more quickly? Well, in the middle of the month, that's the 14-day time frame. Um, you know, the uh, barching, uh, the protests recently had a different dynamic, but locally, uh, you know, uh, from my, what I saw, most of them were wearing masks, which is good. Uh, but from the uh, reopening of the businesses, you know, that was done at the end of the month, of end of May. And if you, uh, you know, pulled it out two weeks, I think you'll see by the metrics if there's a spike. If there's not, then we should consider going to, if nothing else, going to a 30% indoor capacity with regards to the restaurants, uh, move in that direction because, uh, that's a better metric than going from zero to 50% in July, uh, because if it, if you see a, a spike from that point, uh, then at least you have, uh, haven't gone the full throttle of 50%. But if you, there's no spike really, then you can take it, uh, to 50 or 60% and have a better understanding of what the metrics are showing. But I think every two weeks is, should be the assessment point. Uh, and that's been shared not only by myself, but LA Municipal League and others. And, you know, when you, go back to the beginning of the pandemic, it's really a 14-day quarantine. That's where that 14 days comes from. And uh, here locally, we haven't had, uh, we've been, you know, uh, everybody's been, for the most part, in compliance. And so, um, you know, that's why I mentioned that we should take a hard look at that phase four and our ability to either move into that or at least give some reprieve, especially to the restaurants that still need additional help to make sure that they can uh, survive in this environment. Have you had any communication with Governor J.B. Pritzker or his staff on that idea? And are you getting any indication that they're amenable to to thinking about it? Well, they'll always uh, consider it. I have had conversations with them, not uh, Governor Pritzker directly on that particular item since uh, phase three has happened. And so, uh, you know, but we I continually converse with his staff, uh, and you know they do take information and consider it. And I think they're taking a look at uh, a lot of different factors. But uh, the important thing is to keep ringing that bell, so to speak, in hopes that they would be able to feel comfortable in moving in that direction. But the bottom line is, uh, it's the metrics that really drive it. And so far, you know, hopefully everybody stays in compliance locally and we don't see any spike up. What we've seen is a decline. I mean, it's gotten better. So uh, there should be that confidence and that comfort level. Again, that's just Sangamon County. That's not our whole region. Uh, So that's what we need to – well, they will take into consideration when they make that determination. But I still think that uh, at least you could open up for indoor seating at a uh, lower capacity than the 50%. I think that's a more prudent way to go. And then going from 30% and then two weeks later, if everything's working well, then go to the 50%. Uh, 
uh, or higher if, it, if everything works out that way. Uh, Mayor, I want to talk a little bit more about the aftermath of the I really shouldn't say aftermath. It's still going on, the pandemic, but we're gradually trying to reopen. But we saw today comments from the head of the Illinois Restaurant Association suggesting that 20% of Illinois restaurants may ultimately not reopen or may go out of business uh, entirely uh, because of the shutdown. What are you hearing locally? This is an area that obviously has been very, very hard hit, restaurants and bars in particular. Uh, Any sense as to how deep the damage is going to be to that industry here locally? Well, uh, that number doesn't surprise me. I've heard, you know, similar estimations, and that's what they are until because uh, I think some, most restaurants, hopefully, were able to make it through with the PPP program, the Paycheck Protection Program. Uh, but now we're getting where the point where they those resources run out, and that's why we just uh, sent in our amendment uh, recently with our community development block grant funds to create a loan pool that could be used for 3% operating um, uh, fund or if they need to use it in some other manner, just not restaurants, all businesses have been impacted by the coronavirus uh, with local banks and creating that pool of funds. So we should hopefully have that um, answer back from HUD and up and running within the next week or two. And from that, it uh, just adds another point of relief. And then I know the federal government's looking at additional relief. But to answer your question, uh, you know, right now that doesn't, it's not shocking. But again, it uh, it's just really dependent. I think it's incumbent. The out outdoor seating has been good, but that's weather and climate, and that's why it's important uh, for those areas, just not in Springfield regional area, but any regions throughout the state. If they could open up, um, even if you take a look at one ent- entity and give them a little reprieve, I think that's helpful. And I, I believe the you know, governor is looking at those different aspects, and he's proven that throughout this whole pandemic that there's times where he went off. Uh, what was originally uh, thought to be the case, and he has made some exceptions, and that's what we're hoping he continues to take that into consideration. A lot of what would be people's typical plans for a summer in Springfield have been disrupted, Uh, but what do you know about a couple of the bigger events that would ordinarily be coming up? For example, are we going to be able to have a big Fourth of July celebration this year, Capital City celebration or whatever it might be? Uh, Are there plans in the works for that right now? Well, I think that had been originally postponed, but uh, I think uh, hopefully there'll be some type of celebration. I think it all depends on the ability to gather outside. Um, and then also if there's the ability to pull together resources for fireworks and uh, so forth. But um, I think uh, that's the challenge to all of us. And I think really with the uh, with the opening up of businesses and you had the protesters, you're seeing other states when they had the uh, – protesters and that happening, that dynamic, now they're seeing spikes. And so that is a point of concern. But it's really important that everybody understands uh, we, you know, the importance of wearing your mask when you are in close proximity to others, keeping your six-foot social distance. That's going to go through the end of the year. So the more we uh, continue to practice that, the better. But uh, the other side of it is, uh, well, the Levitt concert series, I guess that's been uh, postponed uh, indefinitely until next uh, summer. So, yeah, right, right. And so, but I did have you know encouraged the state of Illinois to still do some small aspect of the state fair, you know, because I'm you know you have a uh, like the students that did the um, oh the uh, auction for champions. You know, there's a lot of uh, agricultural 
things that you could do out there and still take into consideration social distancing, things of that nature. You could have the auction on Zoom or something of that nature. You could have the butter cow out there and have people spaced apart, but uh, it's such a large facility that you would hope they'd be able to figure out some aspect where you still have some resemblance. You wouldn't have rides and some of the other activities, but uh, I think it's important to at least uh, for the spirit uh, do what you can to make outdoor activities happen, even if it's in a small-scale process. Any response from the state to that suggestion? No, they've. Uh, I think they're assessing what they would be able to do. I think, you know, that's why the governor put out early uh, the warning that, you know, uh, that you might want to consider canceling uh, certain events because they didn't want to get people uh, tied into contracts. You know, like for an expensive fireworks show or uh, amusement of some type. So I think that's why they put the uh, word out early. But I think uh, there's a time where you can do some smaller activities and uh, do it respectfully, especially if you had a large enough space and being able to distance people apart. Uh, given all of that, given the possibility of not having the type of fair we usually have, other events called off over the summer, tourism is not what it would ordinarily be, not even close to it at this time. All this has pretty serious ramifications for the city budget. I know we've talked about this a lot in the last couple of months, but give us an update on where things stand right now. What are the best estimates in terms of uh, what the city budget will actually be in terms of revenue compared to what you had anticipated for this fiscal year? And what are you doing to address it? Well, the main driver, a couple of main drivers, one is hotel motel tax, as you pointed out, and that funds our convention visitors bureau as well as Oak Ridge Cemetery. Fortunately, those aren't, um, I guess, uh, the that particular fund, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, they do have with the Convention Visitors Bureau, it's separate from the corporate fund uh, where they're operating from that. So they do have reserve built in, um, and they are proactive with uh, continually to market. Uh, with regards to Oak Ridge Cemetery, if need be, we can, uh, that could be another, you know, aspect of the corporate fund to step in at this point we haven't seen it for all departments we asked them all to cut back as much as possible we're operating i think it's at least 50 employees uh fewer than previously but the real number is the sales tax number and uh, we will know that what that number actually looks like more in the late june or july and how we'll move forward there's still the other variable is with regards to the federal government and any type of direct support they are contemplating that i have talked to our uh, legislative leaders on the federal side, and you know they're all willing to have the direct subsidy come to the, uh, the cities, uh, where the hang-up might be is with the states, and so uh, that'll be a point of contention that they would have to work out. Uh, but there is that commitment locally on the local front from our legislative leaders to support that action. But we'll continue to, uh, you know, tighten our belts and move forward in that, that direction. And uh, time will tell with regards to the sales tax. And, you know, the other side of the coin, of course, is the cannabis. You know, cannabis sales are up. And uh, so it, it's a strange dynamic that we find ourselves in. And with all the people shopping, uh, especially uh, the importance of shopping local, I think as we open up, that will really help turn the tide uh, with regards to our particular budget. Cannabis is rolling. Video gaming is non-existent <laughs> right now. Right? So, you know, it, it's a bit of a wash there. I want to go back. You said, though, 50 employees fewer than what you had previously. Is it compared to the start of the pandemic or compared to this time last year? What's the baseline for that? Right. This time last year. Okay. And so that's due to slowing of hiring. 
um, and, you know, just uh, not filling positions right now. And then um, so we'll continue to do that and uh, assess it as we go along, because the last thing you want to do is have furloughs that have layoffs. But if, you know, uh, that's kind of a case of last resort. Uh, but again, we are uh, planning for the worst and hoping for the best in that aspect. Uh, and City Hall has reopened as of yesterday. Uh, people are able to come in, although you still have a lot of restrictions that apply there. And free parking continues in downtown Springfield until June 30th. Um, uh, so uh, what's the next step? Uh, you know, w- Will you see everybody coming back to City Hall as far as employees? Are you going to have people continue to work from home indefinitely? Uh, and are, are there other uh, changes or, or modifications or accommodations you're going to make in downtown? Right. If uh, an employee can do work remotely and actually, uh, you know, um, have that happen with, you know, laptops or what have you, uh, they're still able to do that. Uh, we did uh, open the doors and ask, uh, have additional people come in with regards to getting work done. Um, and we, you know, made the workplace safer with the plexiglass and uh, you know, lessening the density in offices. So uh, what we're doing as far as the general public, they're asked to wear face masks when they come in or face coverings and then also limit how many are in the lobby, things of that nature. And if they need to do an appointment, we ask that they call first uh, instead of having people wander through the building. And so we're trying to limit it, that aspect of it. But with regards to full operations, I would see that uh, more near the mid to the end of the month uh, when we have a better feel for uh, the face covering aspect and that we have the operational internal workings of uh, the whole social distancing, the precautionary measures in place and how uh, the workflow actually is needed. Um, the, uh, downtown, you've uh, blocked off a few lanes. You've blocked off a block of Adam street to allow for outdoor dining. Do you think that some of those changes are going to run longer than just this month? Once we start letting people back into restaurants, could we see some of those changes be more long-term downtown? Well, I think they can turn into permanent. Uh, that's what we asked DSI. They did a great job of kind of coordinating uh, that effort and taking a look at the long-term view of things. And uh, if we're going to invest uh, money in a part, parklet, let's do it and make it look uh, nice. So we're in this temporary phase or this state of flux, uh, but it could uh, turn into more of a permanent uh, a venue, if you will. And that's uh, with any area of our, our city, you know, as we're changing because of the dynamic, the coronavirus, it gives does give us new opportunities to uh, look at the way we provide those services, and that's one way that we be open to uh, enhancing the experiences, especially with the, the dining, not only within downtown, but throughout our community. Could the free parking become permanent? Uh, I see that it's only uh, a place that to That probably will not. <laughs> I hate to burst any bubbles, but just a reminder, uh, the parking meters are to move traffic. And so we have had instances where employees actually park downtown, and we are keeping track of uh, if you're expired through your time of two hours, then people will get tickets uh, associated with that. But you don't have to plug the meter through June. and uh, But it is to move traffic and uh, make sure those spots are available not for downtown workers, but more for the customers or end visitors that want to come downtown. Well, you're, but you're writing tickets now, yet the parking's still free. You can keep writing tickets after July 1 and still theoretically do the free parking, but you don't envision that happening? 
Yeah, well, that's my own opinion. Uh, we will converse with downtown Springfield, and uh, they have the ear of the merchants uh, better than I do. And so we will talk to the merchants and restauranteurs and see how things are working out. But uh, the other side of the coin is, uh, you know, if that's the case, uh, those need upgraded one way or the other. I think the route to take is to bring them into the 21st century where you'd be able to um, utilize them and uh, still pay using credit card, but also being able to show where parking is available throughout downtown using your GPS on your phone or what have you. And so I think that's the direction that uh, it will take, but we will get the feedback of downtown Springfield and others to uh, make that determination. Uh, yeah, if you don't charge for parking, you don't have to spend all that money on new meters. But um... <laughs> well, then there'll be, yep, that's true. It just, it really is the traffic flow uh, side of things and what makes the most sense. And so uh, with that, you know, the parking uh, tickets themselves, I don't think they would, uh, the enforcement arm would have to be cut back or changed or something because uh, you wouldn't be able to sustain uh, the personnel that it would take to do that enforcement action. And as far as uh, upgrading the traffic signals, also traffic flow, there was a lot of talk about taking some of the one-way streets, converting them back to two-way. Uh, is there a, an updated timeline on any of that yet? Uh, not as of yet. Uh, we were in the planning phases of that, so it will continue on. But again, uh, with the traffic signals, those need updated. So now's the time if we're going to make that transition, we should do it now. Um, it might be a scaled back version, but we'll have to regroup and take a look at uh, what's available to us uh, what the uh, and what we'd be able to afford if we're even able to afford the new traffic system. Because uh, keep in mind, that was tied into, um, uh, I can't remember the name of Centrax. And Centrax is the light synchronization. You know, everybody likes these centralized or synchronized lights in different fashions, you'd be able to control them through a centralized uh, network through PCs instead of having to go out there and manually do the timing. So uh, we're trying to move in that direction. Mayor, uh, bring us up to speed on ShotSpotter, the ShotSpotter technology that's supposed to help uh, police pinpoint uh, where shots are coming from. Uh, How often is it being utilized? I know it's still early yet, but is it making any kind of a difference? Uh, without a doubt, and I'd, you know, I'd encourage you to have Chief Winslow on or someone from the police department because I think within the first week it uh, was helpful in apprehending um, uh, at least one individual, if not two, and then also uh, provide evidence for other situations because you can recover the shell casings. Um, and the other side of it is it shows that you do have a lot more shots fired than what's been reported. And so it's all been helpful. And uh, again, for the listening audience, the whole shot spotter technology, what it's for is a number of things. One is to gather that information. The police can respond within seconds of the shots being fired. And uh, they go into a situation where they have a true understanding of what they may be up against with regards to the firearms being utilized. And um, uh, before we let you go, just to touch on a couple of things we seem to ask you about every time you're in here to see if there's any updates. I think last time we talked, you you said uh, there'd been some discussion before the pandemic hit of uh, Springfield possibly annexing the village of Grandview. Uh, and I think last time we talked, you said the ball was basically in Grandview's court as to whether or not to proceed with that. Has there been any more discussion? Have you had any more conversations with Grandview about that idea? Uh, yes, uh, actually, they provided a wealth of information, and uh, Director McCarty's 
pouring through that because it really, when we had the discussion with the council, comes down to dollars and cents. But when we're looking at the uh, growth of a community, um, what you want to make sure is that you have, uh, you know, you you want. Uh, it's better to have everybody under the same parameters with regards to development, infrastructure, things of that nature, because uh, it collectively it makes our area more appealing. So we are taking a look at it from a dollars uh, dollars wise basis, uh, but the other aspect of it is with regards to growth, what that looks like. But we're both uh, municipalities are interested in, and we'll bring it before the city council after that assessment is done or that analysis is done. And this has to then ultimately be approved by voters in both jurisdictions, correct? Or does it correct? Uh, city council, the Grandview's already approved it. Uh, the city council is the one that would have to approve it to move forward to the ballot, and then. If uh, it's approved through the ballot process, then we would uh, work towards uh, merging the two entities. Do you see that happening in November, or would you wait till spring of 21 for that? Or No, it would be November. We're shooting for the, trying to move towards that time block frame. And so we would have, the have I think, the final uh, vote by the council, I think, sometime in July to reach that point on the ballot in November. And you feel pretty confident you will take this to the council and recommend they adopt it? Uh, from the preliminary looks, that's uh, what the intent is. But again, it, uh, I haven't seen the final um, report from Director McCarty still finalizing the, that part of it. Mayor, we're out of time. Always appreciate your time. We'll talk again soon. Thank you much.